Welcome to Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local art culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Elise. And thank you for tuning back in. Yeah. So we have a great conversation coming up with local artist Keith Garuba. Ben, do you want to take it away with his bio? I would love to. Keith Garuba is a visual artist living and working in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He uses abstraction to restage iconic symbols, charging them with mythic meaning, making works to uplift and mind shift the deep thinking daydreamers. His works are exhibited regularly throughout Pennsylvania and the United States. He holds leadership roles in regional arts organizations and presently acts as president of the Printmakers Society of the Lehigh Valley, visiting higher education institutions across the country as a visiting artist offering talks and workshops is one of his honors and joys. He is a resident artist at the Banana Factory in Bethlehem, where he holds a studio, participates in community activities, and teaches private lessons. Gruba continues to make work in glass, printmaking, paint, multimedia installations, and interactive performance. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't tell you guys how excited I am to be here. You've got great digs, and I've been listening to you, and I just think what oh, you're doing you. for our for our community, our, our artistic community is just wonderful. I'm thank so glad you. you're, you're doing <laughs> this. So we actually saw your work at the house gallery a couple weeks ago for the opening. Yeah. Wonderful. I am very unfamiliar with the concept of um, like warm glass or kiln fired glass. So mm -hmm. can you explain a little bit more about, about the process for that? Some glass artists are working uh, in hot glass there. They're, they're, they're blowing their glass. They're mm -hmm. working at higher temperatures. And then some artists are, are working on the glass while it's cold in the studio doing what I'm doing. Um, I, maybe cutting pieces and applying and stacking and maybe uh, printing like I do or painting and then kiln fusing. Uh, so you're getting it up to a temperature, not often as hot as, you know, someone's full on blowing and mm. manipulating the form and getting it flowing. And then some artists are working cold with their glass. So they're, um, they're carving and they are polishing and, uh, cutting and you know all, all this kind of thing very nice that's yeah. such a good good little summary yeah, <laughs> yeah you. And, you know <laughs> as a warm glass artist I, I i i feel a little bit unsure about describing uh, you know the work of others so i really hope i i got that right <laughs> no no i think well i think that a lot of people are more familiar with like blowing glass because there's that show on netflix now where blown away yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah <laughs> um and i I don't know. I think that it's just people, when you think of glasswork, that's probably what most people think of. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what was cool too, I think, about the show that you're in now is it was all different kinds of glass mediums combined yeah. into one. So it wasn't just blown glass. It wasn't just like sculpted or cold cut glass. It was everything and everything in between. <laughs> yeah. Well, when that show was first coming together, um, was, uh, gosh, maybe three years ago already, uh, I was approached by a couple of artists, um, Roy Groover and Rhonda Snowart, who are practically my neighbors and they've got a great facility for, um, fusing glass. Mm. And so, um, they were generous with me and I had been fusing with them for a few years, which you can't beat that. Like, oh, you know, a, a neighbor, a neighbor's house, I'll oh, just come yeah, on over. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I was fusing at their house and they invited me to, to show with them. They told me that they had this vision to put together a show of all glass artists in the Lehigh Valley, um, maybe show off the breadth of styles and approaches and processes that is present here in the Valley. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there were, there were bumps in the road along the way. Um, we, we had one venue lined up and then for various reasons fell through and, um, you know, it was kind of a long journey and we weren't sure where, where it was going. And then eventually we hooked up with, uh, with Ward who runs the Bethlehem house and he's a glass artist and he was into the vision and he had his own vision on top. And so that's how this show took its present form. And, and it's so mm -hmm. great to see it finally come to fruition because they had this vision long time ago, yeah. I think even before they approached me. So it's great. That's very cool. Yeah, that is super cool. And it, it shows a lot of the. I don't know if there's an official term for it, but the iteration process that art goes through, especially in the way that it's presented. I mean, when it, when it comes to filmmaking, the first draft and the last draft that you see on screen are completely different. And it seems to be time and time again that shows end up being the same way. Sure. 
Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It's easy to picture the creative process as, oh, I made a bunch of stuff and then I showed a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, when you're in the flow of making things uh, and then someone starts imagining a an exhibition to show that work, you know, and then you're hearing about who else is in the show and you're getting excited and you're getting ideas. Your work is zigging and zagging right before you as oh, yeah. the presentation is taking form. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, and those different forms as well dictate how people could potentially receive it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's funny. That connects right back to what you guys were kind of chatting about while I was finishing my notes with sharing your art on Instagram. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's been wonderful because, uh, I've been on Instagram for a long time, mostly lurking and then putting up the occasional casual post or whatever. Yeah. And, and then a few posts that I thought presented my art well, and I just didn't take it too seriously. I, maybe it was because I was shy about it. And so recently I've been, um, trying to be a little bit more, um, uh, direct about talking about the work and, and open to talking about the behind the scenes and the more human side mm -hmm. to what I was thinking about rather than all the technical stuff. And, um, and it's been wonderful because, uh, you know, for me, uh, the art really becomes the art when it's connecting and, and, and I guess I'm cautious to say that I like making art for Instagram because that's not what it's about <laughs> for me, but it's so nice to, um, I don't know, connect with your audience, uh, another way, sometimes in the middle of your work. And then, uh, maybe it's taking that feedback back to the studio or ignoring it, but just knowing it's there. Um, and, and, uh, the, it's been sparking conversations for me, Instagram, and it is, it is nice because the circle becomes completed. You know, it's, it's the audience talking back to you and then you making more work and, uh, it's beautiful that way. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's funny. I, I'll use your word. I spend a lot of time lurking <laughs> on Instagram, whether I'm just looking at my personal page or I do stuff for work or for the podcast. And I think, um, like I notice all of the comments, like I read through the, the comments on a lot of posts because I like to see who's looking at who else's stuff. And I, I very much wonder from your perspective, is it more people who, you know, from the community or is it other artists that, um, you like work and collaborate with, like who's giving you that, that those comments and that feedback, um, you on know, your stuff? Yeah. It's a great question because that's, what's been so surprising to me is, um, the different actions of different kinds of people on Instagram and, <laughs> and uh, a lot of it are other creatives or people I know from, from this and that and friends. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's also the kind of Instagram lurker who never would ever like a thing or comment. And then you see them at the next thing and they're saying like, Oh, that thing you said about this, you know, it's real life conversations. Yeah. IRL is wonderful. And, and when the, yeah. I, I think, I took that for granted that, oh, likes are nothing. Like maybe all these other people read it, paused for a second, um, you know, likes are nothing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I've also reconnected with people. There's a Lehigh Valley artist who moved to London or to England anyway. And, um, and I hadn't spoken to her in, in years. And then I started getting more active on Instagram and, uh, she's kind of she's a very generous person on there and we've been having all these um great conversations both in our posts and just dms and so uh <laughs> yeah i guess it's been surprising who i talk to and you know it's nice when you get a little attention from a stranger i guess yeah yeah i always wonder like I hesitate to comment on stuff for people I don't know, but now I, now I feel like I want to go and be like, I love this great job. Like yeah. you're doing so good. Keep going. It looks oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning that, right? You want to be giving. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the community part. I, I I'm getting, trying to get better at that too, but it's easy to be shy, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Instagram's like its own little gallery show. Don't they even call the, the landing page, the like the gallery. Yeah. <laughs> it's its own little gallery. Show. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's funny. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a photo, I think it was uh, experiment and layering number one, which was a picture of a house right across the street from the studio. Okay. And the person that owns the house finds it, reposts it, and they start commenting. They're like, oh my gosh, that's my house. That's so cool. And it was the weirdest, most fun and unexpected conversation that I had with someone yeah. in a very long time on Instagram. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, that's really funny because I just posted the other day 
um, a little mug that I did in like one of those wine night pottery workshops Uh at the art establishment Uh and someone um, that was either taking a class there. They didn't really say, but they messaged me and said, Oh my God, I saw that like on the firing shelf. in the studio i was wondering whose that was and i was like who is this part like my, my yeah. account's not public so it was someone yeah <laughs> that follows me or i follow them but i thought it was so funny but yeah it's it very is. full circle it, you're right yeah well you know what i i really i really dig about that is um you know i think a lot of us well a lot of creatives end up on instagram because they've got these big eyes about the thousands of followers that they want and then the moments that uh that light up your life are these like little little things like oh wow that's a person that saw my work on the shelf like it's the it's the real life stuff yeah when you came in today i was saying yeah well i saw keith's this piece at the house gallery the one that he submitted um but then he sent a photo and then i saw it on instagram and then i was reading his little story about it and i was like oh i like that piece a lot better now because oh, <laughs> or i connect to it more because <laughs> i read the little story and it's like all this crisscross between like instagram and then seeing it at the gallery and then seeing it here and then <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> seeing it on email <laughs> it's kind of funny right definitely <laughs> i think that the best artworks unravel themselves to you over time and mm-hmm. i would hope that a work could stand alone aside from this whatever statements i attach to them but if the statements can accelerate that unraveling maybe that's what i really hope from from like all you know all this kind of all all the posting one does and you know um in all these different places i I hate the idea of of planting an idea in someone's mind before they form their own opinion but um but if it can leave it open enough and still let it unravel a little bit faster i think that that's nice yeah yeah definitely (laughs) I'm glad to hear about that experience. Yeah. Was that the taillights piece? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Sure. <laughs> or multiple taillights pieces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the ones has like three panels, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the, those little amulets that I've got, right? Yes. Yes. That are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. As you mentioned, you listen, listen, have listened to a couple past episodes um, and we do audio descriptions Mm -hmm. for some pieces so i'd love to get into the first one that you Mm -hmm. sent in this is midnight pilgrims number one created in 2020 it is silk screened and painted enamels fused on glass it is 28 by 22 inches and a quarter inch thick and sits on a steel floor stand this piece is a rectangular glass panel that sits in portrait orientation in a thin black steel floor stand This piece is abstract and done mostly in shades of black and gray with an overall shadow to the piece. While appearing a bit blurred, the viewer can see the road that curves from the bottom left of the piece and narrows towards the center, cut off by two converging mountains. The road is lined on one side by the steep rocky mountain base and on the other by a thin roadside fence. Running along the curve down the center of the road are two red blurred lines that narrow and cut out of view where the mountains come together. Wonderful. I love it. It's, it's just so nice to hear, uh, hear that come out of someone's mouth. And, and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's on point descriptively. Yeah. Um, but, um, it's fun as the maker to imagine the writer, uh, you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, going through that looking experience yeah. and investigating. So it's, it's kind of fun to imagine that. Yeah, to I, hear hope, you speak I hope it. I did it justice. You sure I, did. <laughs> I struggle between so traditionally audio description is uh this very like unbiased thing you just report back what you see but Mm -hmm. i'm seeing more um especially because of the last year people being stuck at home not being able to experience art in person um like definitely a more immersive like audio description experience Hmm. so something that maybe does tell you a little bit more about the viewer's experience seeing it or that kind of thing so I, I I tried to be as unbiased as possible in my yeah. description, but I think my my personality comes through a little bit. I think. of course you can't help it, right? Yeah, anyone yeah. can't help that. But I think it's very unbiased and yeah. and but but on point and describes it. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That piece is what that whole series is named after. I've kind of called the project Midnight Pilgrims, and it's all these taillight works, including those little ones you're talking about that are literally in your face taillights, kind of reoriented and isolated it leads into a lot of the ideas that i'm thinking about with this body of work for most of my work you know i kind of so i make abstract works 
they restage iconic imagery and symbols uh, and try to suggest something magic or mythic ab about that um, creates these metaphors or I create net narratives to support them. Um, but I like the idea of taking these kind of graphic punchy symbols and restaging them so that they have that mythic or sacred power. And, um, and with Midnight Pilgrims, I was thinking about the way that so many representations of uh, speeding cars at night as seen in time-lapse photography don't represent well, what I really experience when I'm on the road. And so what I wanted to do was instead of suggesting these like fast swooping, speeding people uh, all going on this like very still landscape, I wanted to kind of make an unreliable landscape that wasn't very invested in the beauty of the landscape, but where all the investment comes in the focus on these taillights. And so I wanted to apply all these clumping marbleized bits of red and um, make them almost uh, uh, stutter and staccato across that bend. And and think about all the individual people who have been on that road. You know, I, I kind of like to romanticize, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. And feel like I'm just one of them and we're all one because of this. And I guess that's what that yeah. formally is about for me. It's funny because when I was writing the description for this, I was looking at it thinking, this is kind of like what the road looks like from the mountains perspective. Like the mountains are stationary. The road is stationary. And over time, they see all these cars kind of going through on the same roads, the same kind of concept mm, where sure. it's it's from a different perspective. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's the same kind of approach to uh, trying to see something that's not literally before us, but almost like more animistic and um, and see <laughs> I, I've my other bodies of work have um sort of flirted with that like the idea of animism like what if these paint drips are living things um you know and, and i've played with that and so when i transition to a work like this um some of that language goes away but i'm really interested that you would bring it back in you know like th from the perspective of a mountain you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think um I don't, I don't know why my brain is thinking of this in correlation with this piece. It's so unrelated, but are you familiar with, it's a Disney short. It's called the lava, the lava short. You know, I was kind of, I was kind of hoping that maybe we could talk a lot about Disney tonight because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a two year old and it's pretty much what I'm really an expert at. Um, <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm familiar with that short. Yep. So I, um, the reason I think I'm trying to break it apart in my head, but I think the reason is the same kind of concept as that mountain perspective where the volcanoes had this long span of time where they were sitting, sitting in the ocean, witnessing the world go by around them. Yeah. And this is kind of what I meant with that concept of this is the road from the mountains perspective mm. is the taillights. Like you don't, see taillights in this like a continuous line this would be more of like a time lapse kind of thing yeah so for a mountain time moves very slow or for a volcano time moves very slow so you're kind of seeing like from their perspective not only what what it looks like but like how slowly time is moving that the taillights just look continuous sure kind of yeah, yeah that yeah. might be way too abstract no totally <laughs> and you know i think um with this kind of uh with this kind of zigzag dancing quality of these lines that i gave to those taillights i was almost imagining to, to to sort of feed into what you're saying if you were that mountain and you saw every single person that went by and you only had in your memory a snapshot of each and every one of them and then stacked all of those on top of each other it would be a lot more like clumsy looking and and yet unified yeah. and you know and, and i kind of feel like oh man maybe i'll maybe i'll get to to uh maybe i'll over romanticize this but but i kind of feel like that's what human togetherness is anyway it's all clumsy and we don't all fit into one mold but there are momentary things that bring us together like a road <laughs> yeah definitely wow that's so cool i really do like this piece and just to for those listening to clarify this does not in any way actually resembled the lava short in color <laughs> or theme or <laughs> this is this outstanding color in this is very much the red taillights. And then the other parts of it are very much like grays and blacks and white. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool tones. Shadowy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But that is a great animation. I mean, I 
<laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, I I play the ukulele, so like oh, I, I that, yeah. I'm obsessed with that song. That <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah. cute, and it's yeah. only like four chords. It's really easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Disney, if you want to, you know, if you want to talk about making this piece into an animated feature, we could talk about that. We're trying to form a Lehigh Valley Avengers, and we'd <laughs> like you to join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all the into Lehigh that. Valley. That sounds wonderful. The Lehigh Valley Art Avengers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear we uh, have Valley Art Avengers that's fun it's got a ring I like it very yeah. true yeah <laughs> I, my my introduction to art was through comic books um and uh you know the thing that actually I'm uh, it's kind of fun that this would organically come up but uh the my first art training was this book called how to draw the marvel away have you guys seen this book at all yeah 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 it's a wonderful book it's like written in the voice it's written by stanley and very much in his voice and then the art lessons are all illustrated by this guy john busima um and i just you know when i was young i really wanted to um i wanted to be a storyteller and uh, I realized that drawing my stories was like a way to have full control. I could do it. It felt accessible. It felt like, oh, all you need is paper and pencil. And, uh, and then that book made me feel like the tools are available and you could just do it. And if you learn to draw everything, someday you could tell any story. And that was kind of like, that was how I really got into wanting to be an artist. I wanted to be a comic book artist and, um, and that became my uh my interest in printmaking because of the printedness mm. of comic books i yeah. went when i was studying art in school um i was kind of you know very few schools have comic programs and yeah. i didn't go to one that did and so uh, i was starting to learn fine art and uh i i took a printmaking class not knowing anything about it and started connecting the dots like Oh, you know, like commercial printing is just an extension of like all these traditional forms of printing. And a lot of the first comics were prints were, you know, were like handmade prints and engravings and things like this. And I fell in love with printmaking. So that's actually my training and background is as a printmaker first. I know we're looking at glass yeah, art, yeah. um, but, um, but the glass I feel is an extension of my practice and, and I kind of orient myself, my center as an artist is drawing and printmaking. Okay. That's really Very cool. Yeah. So your education background is, was that all in printmaking and then you kind of grew into the class art? Yeah. Or? Well, well, when I was in school and this is the best lesson I learned in art school of anything was I, while I was learning printmaking, I had an awesome, you know, I, I don't want to downplay just, you know, it's not just about my romance with comics and uh, boy, that's my hot word today. Romance. <laughs> it's not just about my relationship to comics and, and print. It's also like about great mentors, you know what I mean? And, and access to mentors. I think that that's like, that's the value for me of, of some art schools, right? Is if you can mm, find that mentorship and I definitely. found someone in printmaking who I really resonated with. And so it was fantastic, but I was also connecting with someone over in sculpture and that person, uh, pointed out to me that there, you know, there's a way to print on glass and there's money out there. Why don't you go get a research grant and just teach yourself how to do it. And that lesson that you can teach yourself anything wow that like set me up for a lot of confidence in in art for the rest of my you know career and um and so that's how i learned how to do it i got a school research grant and uh so it really was pretty close to my beginnings in printmaking that i was doing the glass works but that's how it happened i i it was kind of like a crossover moment between teachers and and mentors and just realizing like, oh, like, you know, you can learn any of these things. And frankly, if you teach yourself, you might learn to do it a new way that might be great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you might be creating something that no one's really thought of because, <laughs> because you have the option to go from printmaking to glassmaking exactly. or whatever it might be. That's very cool. Mm, yeah. In line with saying, if I can learn to draw anything, I can tell any story. And um, what you just said now, which is if I can learn it, I can do it. How does the abstract part come into it? Oh, wow. Great question and, and very finely put together. I love it. Um, well, so abstraction was not anything I, 
it's kind of funny because even today I like, I'm an abstract artist. I'll own that, you know, and I, I, I do love a lot of abstract art, but it's not what I look at mostly for my mm. inspirations. And, um, and when I first started learning printmaking, I was getting it really excited about some of the possibilities with silkscreen printing with stencil printing, because I realized like, this is a, a process that could allow me to create these compositions using pre-made shapes that for me i was doing digitally so it was a way to like bring the digital into the physical world and then physically put together these larger compositions and because it didn't have to go through a press you can make these big pieces of paper with silkscreen and so i was getting excited about kind of like the possibilities of building these big compositions and right in the middle of learning that stuff i uh i had like a big life moment and i had a uh, a special needs uncle who lived with us as a family and uh he was a wonderful man and he too was an artist he he loved to paint um and suddenly and by by you know nothing nothing very explainable uh um medical anomaly he he died it was very quick and we lost him and it was heartbreaking for our whole family and you know it was kind of like a turmoil moment and I was searching mm. and, and going inward and at the same time in college and just busy and mm. doing all these things. And I think I went deeper into my artwork and, and so to that idea of like, oh, I could just build these big compositions with, with, with this process, I started thinking about like, well, you know, I'm dealing with stuff and I've got these, like, my ideas were abstract, you know, I was kind of like, I can deal with all this these flying things happening in my life if i just make these artworks and i started producing these um these uh these rose windows uh the uh, these representations of round stained glass windows and that was partially because you know i was going to his funeral and experiencing his catholic world mm. i wasn't raised catholic uh but so so i had a little bit of that outsider angle on that imagery i suppose and i was really inspired by the way that uh uh that by the way that that ornamental architectural feature could bring me solace at a time that i wanted it i needed it and so i started making my own and thinking about ways that you could code patterns and symbols into those designs and then take those designs and use them in large compositions where things are happening that might be suggestive of you know I, I was thinking a lot about the fragility of life after that loss and so i was kind of thinking if if i can um illustrate some of these imaginings of how the body works maybe i can come to some kind of healing place and so i started mm -hmm. making these like metaphorical compositions mm -hmm. about the happenings of the body um using this imagery and so abstraction fell in my lap it just made way more sense for my ideas you know it didn't make sense my ideas weren't coming to me in uh representation they were coming to me in abstraction mm. and so i chased it and that's how i ended up being an abstract artist <laughs> wow <laughs> sitting here listening to you talk about how you were transforming your healing process into things that you were making for school or things that you were doing while you were in school i was thinking like oh my god artists are just like the smartest people like i can't imagine having this conversation <laughs> with like someone who who wasn't having this creative thought process like it's amazing the layers of that like how you went from the imagery of at a funeral to like fragility of life to creating art as a healing mechanism to also i'm going to submit this for like my college class kind of it's yeah. like it's so much all yeah. in one package but it's just amazing <laughs> right and it will you know uh it is greatly intellectual and yet so hard to grasp and i couldn't have said that to you in a very without the the narrative that I attached mm -hmm. to it, I couldn't sure. have said it too mm -hmm. easy. And so I kind of get why people don't trust artists as intellectuals, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah. Well, I think um, a big part of advocating for art as, as an intellectual tool or as something to keep in your toolbox, I like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it is a little bit intimidating or maybe it's like a high barrier thing that we could be sitting here talking about the techniques for, layering like this warm glass technique and maybe someone that's not a creative or someone that's not into this like creative process is it's not as easy for them to grasp so how do we get from like 
that's not <laughs> yeah. making art, creating whatever is not your thing to a point where you can talk about that. Like yeah. I feel very fortunate. Mm. My parents are both very creative people and that's just always been my background. I went to school for that. Like yeah. it's, I feel very lucky, but like, I know that's not everyone's deal. So I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for, for me, I think it's, it's largely permissions, you know, and mm. it's, it's holding. <laughs> so I, I've done a lot of teaching actually, uh, to, to support my artwork, but also because I love it. And, um, I've taught in like community spaces and, and things like that. And so I, I tend to focus on children, but I think holding a kid's hand through those formative years and just giving permission to like, you know, there's not all these rules for art. You just kind of gotta, you know, like the, these are drawings, a way to think and paintings, a way to feel. And all of these things are important to, to you having a relationship to the world. And if we can hold their hand through those formative years where they're getting self-conscious for me, permissions become a big question for how you get people there. Being a father yourself, how have you been able to build that into your relationship with your child? Well, you know, I, I'm going to have to get permission from her dealer before I start talking about her artwork. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> she paints every day. Actually, we've got an easel set up in the living room and we kind of set up the circumstances that it could happen um, on a whim for her. And, uh, I thank my family for supporting me and making that happen and because it has the potential to be messy, you know, but if you kind of like, if you're willing to like work through that, you can get a kid to paint every day. And so, uh, you know, she's only two. And so for me, it's about like <laughs> just enjoying it, you know, like get the yeah, joy in her, definitely. um, and appreciate her marks. I focus so much on mark making, you know, it's like, Oh, is that a swirly twirly? What a great swirly twirly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, so it's really about that for me. Um, and, and just experiencing it. Yeah. Well, do we want to move on to the second piece? Yes, absolutely. All right. So the second piece, um, titled through and back again, made in 2020, it is the medium is silk screened and painted enamels fused on glass. It is 24 by 30 inches and a quarter inch thick in a steel wall mount. This piece is a rectangular glass panel that sits in landscape orientation in a thin black steel frame. The background of this piece is done in two rectangular panels outlined with a very thin white line that sit over top of clear glass. The rectangular panel on the left is a primarily rusty reddish brown color. The rectangular panel on the right is a coral color. The top two thirds of the piece are primarily translucent and appear rippled and billowy in texture. Most of the background is covered in a very thin, white distorted grid. Along the bottom third of the piece is a deep purple wave that slopes from the left to the right and curls slightly at the end. It is blotched with a yellowish gold along the top and a light pink on the bottom. Predominantly in the center of the piece is a midnight blue orb with coral colored lines crossing over the right side. Just to the right of the sphere is a symmetrical gothic cross shape. A distorted imprint of the cross wraps around the right side of the orb. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've got the image. <laughs> <laughs> that's great you, you know i wanted I, I wanted to talk about this piece because um it's not uh it doesn't fit neatly into any of the 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 projects as i call them or series of my major series of my work that i've kind of cultivated and you know when you make an artwork sometimes i tend to uh i tend to sweat because I'm imagining talking about it with someone on a podcast someday, no. <laughs> but, but like in a, in a gallery or like I'm imagining, you know, I want to stand behind the work. I want it to communicate something. I want it to be meaningful. And oftentimes the best way to do that is to, uh, fit it into, you know, your broader thesis and the ideas you've got going and to have some focus. And, um, so, so the, the idea of making something that you're not so sure about sometimes is uh, really scary when you're making it. And oftentimes it's a, a good way to, to sort the potent ideas from the ideas you shouldn't pursue or the pieces that you should like quit early when they're not working. But then there's these other times that a piece starts coming together for whatever reason, you've got these formal elements that start to jive and you've got these compositions that start to come together and uh, and it's working for you as the artist and you think it's saying something and, um, and 
you just chase it all the way. And for me, I was working on a few different pieces at once and I had these like kind of motifs happening and these kind of formal elements starting to come together. Uh, and, and they just fit compositionally and, and I didn't have it figured it out as I was making the piece. And yet I thought that it really worked. It brought in elements from each of those series, you know? So in my Dr. Armbruster laboratory's body of work, I've got these grids. So you mentioned those white grids. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of my work has a digital moment. I've got these digital moments when I'm working on them. I, I'm playing around on the computer. I make a lot of my silkscreen images on the computer and so those grids i started having fun with kind of making these uh i guess technically they're illustrator blends but um but I, I was making sort of these transitions between each of the lines in the grid that would bend and angle away in these different directions uh over slow transitions and i realized that if i if i did that a certain way and i bent those lines away from the center and made it all symmetrical i started to get these gothic openings in the center of those grid forms and i was thinking like okay so i've got this architecture thing kind of reminding me of this rose window things and i was calling them apertures right i've got these openings in the middle yeah. uh where the the grid is pulling back and so i was i was doing that and then i had all these deep reds i was playing with from the tail lights and i started kind of like marbling that up behind the the grids and um and you know so then i started thinking about the rose window things and i made this orb that would float in the middle and and reflected these bits from that grid almost like i was imagining you know it's just it's abstract space so you can kind of make up these narratives in your head about physically what's going on if you want and so i was imagining maybe that orb is rolling over those designs and and then i at the same time I was doing these technical experiments in glass with building texture up using my using my enamel colors and so all those things converged and i made this piece um and i was happy with it and i thought that it kind of it, it kind of fit and maybe said something back to all those other works and you know sometimes you think about the work and you want the work to reflect a specific idea but in the end you you get all these formal moments these you get this vocabulary i should call it mm -hmm. and the vocabulary just works uh for me it did anyway and so when the vocabulary starts working it's like don't stop it that's gravy like make the work you know <laughs> you said that this doesn't fit into your other bodies of work how mm -hmm. it seems like those do have kind of a narrative that go along with it and this does not necessarily sure <laughs> i might be creating one in my brain looking at it uh -huh. but it doesn't you didn't create it with a narrative in mind kind of thing yeah right totally yeah uh, didn't warhol had these pieces that were just printed up layers of his older works yep, right yep. where it's like it stops making sense but it's got all the sign i think he called them were they retrospectives or something like that anyway there there is just this accumulation of imagery that was him and his work and different ideas and maybe those ideas were the same or maybe not but they come together and it says something new and uh, I don't know, individual audience might have different thoughts about how well those work, but this felt to me like a little bit of that. I had these fragments, put them together and it still felt like me, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I know, um, actually Ben this week, you said that in posting photos or what you've been working on that you consider it a lot of it, you consider a lot of it as like a process or like a study or something in what you're working on. Mm -hmm. And that's almost kind of how I see this piece is like you've got elements from everything that you're working on but it came into this combined amazing finished product yeah oh thank you it's like the digital and the the actual glass and like you said even the color from the taillights kind of thing that's very cool yeah and you know there's these moments where and I'm glad that you know thank you I'm glad that you like the work and and I happen to like the product too but even if I hadn't liked the product and it stayed in my studio forever this could be a jumping off piece this might be the start of a new body and that's kind of how it happens and so mm. you know I kind of think like being a good artist is a condition of preparedness you know it's like about like sharpening that axe and and keeping a practice and half of it is r d you know you're just like researching and trying and uh this piece maybe would probably would have been important to me whether i thought it was showable or not i think yeah yeah so we've talked a lot with other artists about naming their works i kind of being a comics person i think there's huge opportunity at the um, synergy between words and pictures. Mm. And so I don't wanna miss that opportunity. So I, to me, 
titles are immensely important both for that reason of meaning but also functionally today it's the most searchable part of your artwork oh easily <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um and so uh you know the the titles uh I, I i always wanted to add something but not be on the head you know what i mean so some of the works standalone the imagery alone might not tell the whole story and i guess i i hope that the title brings just enough more clue that a person could get to a place in their head where i'm comfortable with it but also they mm. can fill in the gaps and i'm comfortable with what they come up with <laughs> definitely <laughs> you know well the reason that i brought it up in the first place is because you you mentioned that from the beginning you didn't necessarily have a narrative in mind mm -hmm. but the piece of the name of this piece is through and back again which mm -hmm. feels very narrative to me yeah and I, I'm, I'm curious whether that's a narrative that you're putting on after the fact yeah. or if that's a narrative that you did have from the yeah. beginning in this particular case it was very much after the fact my working title because like i had picked I, you know for me it's a useful tool to take a picture midway and then like see it on a screen and see it in different contexts and yeah. my working title was like gates or something the gates or something like that and so then later i came back to it and i was like i don't know that's not vibing because it's not all about the gates you know now i've got this orb and i've got this suggestion of this s curve like sweeping and changing things and transformation mm. and so uh i was thinking about well two things that made that that title make sense to me one was that i felt it, it i was returning to older ideas in my um body of work uh that i hadn't been to so so back again i guess but also i was thinking about the way that orb with its negative line work if it rolled over just the right way maybe like one of those puzzles it could slip through and fall through mm. so i was just thinking about like definitely i don't know i was thinking spatially through and back again but i was also thinking in my life about ideas that were coming back to me through and back again you know yeah definitely it, it reminds me of a lot of great fantasy novels you could do the hobbit yeah, back yeah, again yeah, uh -huh. um and through it, it makes me think of uh, alice in wonderland and alice through the looking glass mm -hmm. which is also mm -hmm. very surrealist yes. almost abstract at points and I, I was curious if either of those that's so brought any kind of an inspiration to the work they weren't inspirations but i love that interpretation and you know like see this is where conversation gets so important because like i'm talking about this piece and maybe trying to expose a little vulnerability because i want to talk about it because maybe it's something that leads to different work yeah and so like that input means a lot to me and maybe that's the future yeah maybe i'm about i'm about to start my alice in wonderland body of work <laughs> Ooh. No. but yeah no that's interesting i hadn't thought about it in that narrative sweep idea mm. you're talking about i mean you've done yeah. some you do screenwriting right i i do enjoy screenwriting yeah, yeah. uh-huh so you think about these um these you know i i've read some um do you know Robert McKee? That, I, that I book definitely story? do. Yeah. Yes, I have it on my desk right now. Do you? Yeah. Yes, I do. Okay. So I, 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 I'm kind of fascinated by you know prototypes and archetypes and you know like I guess these these rules, hard and true rules for narrative that just seem to speak to the human psyche. Yeah. Um. And so I'll think more about what you're saying. That's great. I like the connection to like something mythical and something kind of surreal because um when this piece is at the house gallery mm -hmm. and when the three of us went uh, elizabeth and i were standing in front of it kind of talking about it because we were listening to the band and we're like standing there standing there looking at it and i said like what do you think this is what do you this is very different from a lot of the other stuff that's in here like what do you think when you look at it and she said well the cross is like really predominant and i don't know maybe something kind of maybe it's like religious focused i don't know so we're sitting there chatting about it and then I mentioned to you when you came in that I immediately thought of this when I saw this piece of the myth of Sisyphus, mm, yeah. which is um, like a, a myth or a fable or whatever. And it's often connect, connected with stories about uh, existentialism oh, okay. and like the stranger and Albert Camus. So yeah. it was like all combined into one unit. And the myth, the myth goes like this guy Sisyphus, this guy Sisyphus <laughs> is forever damned to pushing this boulder up a hill mm -hmm. and he's pushing it and then as soon as it gets to the top it always rolls back down and no matter what he does if he tries to hold it there it's too heavy it always rolls back down and the kind of like rap of this myth is that he has accepted that as his fate so he's not happy but he is in acceptance like of his fate and 
what with this, like this orb or this ball or the boulder or whatever you want to call it, you have a wave that kind of goes down, but then curls back up. So mm -hmm. I almost like when I was standing there looking at it, I was thinking like, okay, so if Keith, I wasn't thinking this, but now I'm thinking it is if Keith is Sisyphus and he's standing here rolling the boulder up and it rolls back down, this wave like curls back around. So it like rolls down the hill and then the wave like shoots it back to the top. So, uh -huh. so maybe, maybe there's no need for Sisyphus. Maybe it's just like rolling this orb, yeah. this ball yeah. is just like rolling around and that's ridiculously conceptual and like total, yeah. that's just an absolute brain dump of what my brain was thinking of when I first saw it. But I'm glad that you had like this similar mm. kind of need to create a narrative out of a piece yeah. because mm. it is kind of chaotic and it is very surreal mm -hmm. and it's maybe, I don't know. That's it's two totally different interpretations, yeah. but coming from the same place of like that need to create a narrative while you look at something. Definitely. Yeah. The title helped a lot with that. Yeah. For, for me. Yeah. At least. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm thrilled to hear your, both of your interpretations. It's just wonderful. <laughs> and you know, I, when I talk about a lot of my work, I, I often throw around the word myth and mythic. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of intrigued by, by abstract artists that do, you know, like, I, like, like, Rothko would talk about tragedy with his work and it's like, oh man, they're squares of color. And you know what I mean? They're, they're lovely squares of color. I actually think they're magnificent works, but you know, to hear an abstract artist sometimes like lump such heavy language onto something sometimes feels too heavy. And sometimes it's like, that's right on point, but why it's like, yeah. you know, it's like colors and shapes on space and lines and, you know, but I think that the, you're right. The mind wants to do that. And, um, you know, you're also just pleasing the young me who wanted to be a storyteller and became an abstract artist. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I, I think narrative is a big part of my process in the background, but, uh, that it could end up on the other end, sparking narrative in the minds of others is cool. I think about the way that the <laughs> humans are kind of grappling with the idea of the end, you know, automatons and, you know, machines that almost think on their own and things like that. And I think often an abstract artwork works the same where there's this internal logic where things happen and you can almost imagine a physics, even if it's not there. And, mm -hmm. um, I think that, um, that's powerful. This, this looks like it could be like an album cover or something. Oh, wow. And the, even the grid, I was like, this kind of reminds me of like Tron and just, it's <laughs> kind of sci-fi. Like there's so much going on. I just really like it. Oh, thank you. So, so musicians out there, I'm, 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 uh, taking commissions for album covers. Let me know. Uh, maybe your friend Ike could, uh, <laughs> I don't think it fits his mood. I don't know. He can decide. He can decide. An album cover photographed from glass. That's just an incredible concept to me. <laughs> well, you know, the jewel case itself could be glass if they, if they want, True. it'll be expensive. Uh, but <laughs> I was thinking of, so I'm a violinist and I was oh. thinking of Celtic covers of movie soundtracks. And this is the album of sci-fi movie soundtracks. And this is oh the my album goodness. cover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No. oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. I'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah. Let me know. <laughs> Uh, I think that's cool. a lot of artists dream. I think whether they admit it or not, I think a lot of artists would love that. You know what I mean? To do an art, an album cover. Oh, definitely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that is the artist, like the whole, the artist Holy grail is that you get to collaborate <laughs> with someone and create something for another medium. Like yeah. Yeah. maybe that's a universal, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a universal desire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not the kind of artist that often will, will talk about music being an inspiration. Uh, but I really should say that for the first time with this newer work, this Midnight Pilgrims work, I listened to Paul Simon's Graceland endlessly making that work, like endlessly to the point that like, you know, sometimes a viewer will ask you, how long did that piece take? And I almost want to answer and how many times I let that album loop. Like, <laughs> oh, well, that's like, you know, that's a hundred Gracelands. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah that is, yeah. that's really good listening to an album like all the way through is kind of synonymous with that road trip concept yes, <laughs> like totally. you're sitting in the car you listen to something a mm, yeah, hundred times over all the way through absolutely yeah. yeah yeah would you recommend listening to graceland while looking at those pieces oh yeah i think it, it might tell you something you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well you that's know that cool. he does you know that that 
album in particular, I think it does conceptually match the work. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a man at a moment at a transition moment in his life thinking about, well, maybe I should take this road trip to Graceland. And, but also thinking about, um, just, you know, for him musically world influences and music. And, um, and I, I just, uh, think, you know, I was starting to think about the meaning of the drive and the driving experience. And, uh, so I actually think it did mean a lot conceptually. Yeah. Yeah, That's super cool. Yeah. Well, I, I think that I would kick myself if I didn't ask it, considering I brought it up in a prior episode, but talking about that, uh, the laboratory series that you're working mm, on, you have yeah. four of those pieces currently yeah. on display at the house gallery. I do. And, uh, what I brought up was the differentiations between them all. So they all have similarities, mm-hmm. but in each one, there seems to be this, this definitive distinction from the others. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, um, you know, th- those pieces are interesting because they, uh, they're some of the only pieces in the Dr. Armbruster Laboratories uh, project that are in glass, that I made in glass. There's like two others. And it's because, um, you know, not all of my work is glass. A lot of it's on paper and 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 other. And um, not all of, uh, we were talking about this before the episode, but Marshall McLuhan, I heard you speaking yes. of with the, the medium is the message. And yes. when you have a few media in your repertoire, you get to choose like what, what, what speaks this message the best, what, what tells the idea. And I wasn't sure how to make those works at first work on glass or make sense in glass or justify being in glass. And so I tried a bunch of things and these ones I thought did and, um, for whatever reason. And, uh, in that body of work for me, there's, there's two, it's like, it's about, it's almost about, it's not, it's, it's drips as subject and, or as figure and it's grids as ground or, you know, background. And, um, and so I've got these two formal elements. And for me, a lot of the project, aside from like the idea, the conceptual idea of making these fake science experiments that told you something about the drip, um, those pieces were about, well, how do I, uh, make the grid really, really have its voice. And so mm. changing the grids was a way to do that, you know, yeah. and because the grid became really important to me in those pieces, because on glass, as opposed to on paper, the grid had dimension, mm-hmm. which I got excited about, you know, you print yeah. that, you fire it. And then it's a, you know, it's a, a like a few millimeters deep, maybe more. And it's, and so then when you drip over that grid, um, the, the, the drip of, of ink takes is slightly informed by that grid it starts because it has dimension it's starting to shape it and so i was like okay so so the glass is telling me that uh this grid in this medium is more prominent so let's play with that now and so that's what i was playing with so that i started making those um those uh concentric grids with like with the circles just kind of radiating out and doing different things like that and uh, so two of the pieces are very much about exploring that and then the other two with the color are um about just getting a little bit goofy with well <laughs> speaking of it, all you uh illustrator nerds out there adobe illustrator nerds you know playing with with just a digital tool of blending it's it's this tool in the program that allows you to take these two shapes and then click blend and the computer will try to interpret what would kind of exist between those two shapes yeah and so i was really screwing with that because i was kind of like okay i've got these two formal elements one's becoming more important in this glass medium so let's see what happens when i just blend them (laughs) let the computer decide and it was doing these things where it made these spirally shapes that were totally weird and so i started including those in those compositions too in the background yeah yeah being being familiar (laughs) with that tool were you were you experimenting with the number of steps between them as well oh yeah uh, yeah absolutely yeah and sometimes it's about uh sometimes (laughs) this is getting really deep but making two blends and then choosing a shape out of the middle of each of them and then blending those to get to a whole different oh, oh place and so that you know yeah. you're stacking computer decisions and you're kind of in control yeah like, a little bit yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> that's so, funny. so cool i love it <laughs> it's so nerdy but yeah totally <laughs> I, I love it and it, it goes along with that that marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message and taking the digital medium and pushing it to its limits you know it's thinking for itself but we're guiding it Right? Totally. Yes. So we have these two shapes that the computer has created based on things that we've input. 
and then we're choosing which of those things to take and then blend together again. Yes, and totally. It's, it's so cool. It is so cool. <laughs> and, you know, um, I don't know if it's about curation at that point or, uh, you know, sort of the artful choices you make when, mm. when you change it to another form, but I'm just like, I'm obsessed with this art idea of translation and maybe that's the important part of the hum of the the artist brain yeah is is translating between forms you know like we so so the computer's translating and that's fun like i'm getting a kick out of it but then there's also the part where i translated out of the computer to make a physical version of something and i love that back and forth yeah yeah definitely Let's talk about the Lehigh Valley and the influence that it's had on on both your process and presentation of your work. I've lived here since 2014, and I grew up not far from here. I grew up in the Scranton area. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm a Pennsylvanian too. Um, <laughs> I wasn't transplanting very far, but I was living out in Ohio for a few years doing my master's degree mm. at Ohio State. And my wife was out there with me and she finished up, uh, uh, her residency and found work back here. We were like, you know, we had this kind of geographic circle around home that, cause we're both from that area, Scranton area, uh, that we kind of wanted to land in so we could see family sometimes and she got work here. So we came here and you know what? It's really cool. <laughs> I like it here. Um, the scene is cool and, you know, being from Scranton, you know, cold town up there it's it, yeah. it's a coal cold you know it's built on that that coal working kind of community and railroads yeah, yeah exactly yeah. all that and you know there's there's that vibe here too of like of like built atop industry and mm -hmm. uh, you know yeah. and and a lot of uh families attached to that working uh with that work ethic from that you know and um so i kind of dig that about the area um I, I think it's cool. You know, I've, I've heard you guys talk about sort of our proximity to New York and Philly. Yeah. That's cool. It's not why I'm here, but it is cool. Right. We can, we yeah. can hop into the city and, um, but, and, you know, I, I guess it does tickle the part of the brain that has aspirations in bigger cities. But that being said, it, I really believe in local art scenes and and building the community you're in and having a home base and um and and having like a, an art family elsewhere that's yeah. that aren't tied to you know maybe pie in the sky dreams or but because I, I don't know you know for most of us we're gonna have these bright shining moments with the people that we happened to be with mm. and we could miss them because we're thinking about other cities we can be in <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and and i think uh this is a town where i am starting to get to know the other artists here and the other people and you guys are helping that <laughs> <laughs> and um and and i like it you know i'm i'm feeling at home and uh you know i'm not the kind of person that uh picks up and makes art anywhere quickly mm. i think i could make art anywhere but mm. it's going to take me time to acclimate yeah. but um it's taken me a few years to, I don't know, find my voice in this place in my life. Mm. And uh, I'm feeling there and I'm feeling um, like the Lehigh Valley has helped foster what I'm doing right now. That's super cool. It's yeah. great to hear, yeah. yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> Is there a highlight from being in the Lehigh Valley since 2014 that you'd like to point out? You know, I, I, I taught at the bomb school in Allentown for a long time and that was a blast for several years. And while I was out there, um, I was kind of like shaking it up with the Allentown art scene. And, um, and I guess professionally, I was just entirely, uh, flattered to receive the uh, arts ovation award from, you know, the Allentown arts commission yeah. with, uh, for emerging artists that year. And, um, that was like two years into living here. And I, it, it made me feel so welcomed you know what i mean oh it, that's awesome yeah totally it made me feel so welcomed and met a bunch of artists there i think femi received femi johnson received one that year and i got to meet him and you know um anyway that was my personal professional highlight yeah here in the lehigh valley <laughs> so cool that yeah is cool. congrats that's thank, fun. You. Yeah. thank you thank <laughs> you yeah very nice and now I mean, gosh, I, I couldn't be more grateful to, to Ward and the crew over at Bethlehem House. Great gallery, and I, I'm thrilled mm. to be showing there. If people would like to 
buy your work, see more of your work, mm-hmm. um, how can they contact you or where can they find it? Well, you can always contact me directly. I've got uh, contact stuff on my website. Uh, I'll give you my email address. You ready? <laughs> it's Keith, my name, G as in girl, art, A-R-T at gmail.com. Hey, just email me. But I've got a lot of available works on my website. But while the show is up over at Bethlehem House, please check that out. Definitely. Um, and that's up until June 12th, correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, very yeah. good. Please do check that out. Yeah. Um, cause, because uh, it it is so different to see it um, I mean, I'll hang my art anywhere that you, you want to see it if you just want to see it, but it is really nice to see it in, in, you know, that kind of context where it's, uh, you know, presented like it's in a home, a very posh home. <laughs> uh, and, um, so, so check that out and, um, you can follow me. You know, a lot of people are just very comfortable having those one-to-one conversations on Instagram. So you could follow me on Instagram. I'm at keith.garuba um yeah so you can find me there and uh what can i tell you what i really want people to do yes, go for please. it please <laughs> i really want people to come to my website keithgaruba.com and join my newsletter list you have a because newsletter i have a newsletter um i'm an in- infrequent blaster so i'm not bugging people i when people join me i just want to be talking to my people it's like family you know what i mean so you can always email back if if you're digging something but the reason i want people to do this is because the world is slowly opening you know and i've got opportunities rolling up you know that are kind of paced out based on that opening up of the world and i just want to be able to tell people what i'm doing but i'll tell you what can are you guys down with me are you guys down with me offering a little freebie okay just your <laughs> listeners if you do <laughs> i'm sound, i'm sounding so pitchy right now because no, i'm kind of getting in the voice <laughs> i'm getting in the voice of it but no if you do sign up for my newsletter on my website and um there's like optional name and mailing address and a little like comment section if you fill that stuff out if you're comfortable um you can uh put whatever in the comment section just say like lehigh valley arts podcast or lva pod or whatever kind of cool thing you want to do and if you do that i will email you a little reproduction print of one of my works a little limited edition signed and numbered you know one out of 100 print just for you oh, oh that's just for awesome your thank you, thank so, you so much, much. that's yeah. so cool yeah. so <laughs> do that a little freebie if that interests you you can quit my newsletter immediately if you want no hard feelings if you just want the art i get it <laughs> i love that you have your own newsletter for like what you're working on that's so great yeah well you know uh, so we talked a little bit about instagram and talking on there and um newsletter is just another way to like it, it, so my art i make my art for like i i imagine the deep thinking daydreamer you know and with the newsletter i'm telling stories i'm making stories for the deep thinking daydreamer and and that's what it's about so if that's you you know sign up and we can start a relationship that's kind of what it's about i want to connect that's all that's awesome yeah cool Cool. awesome and then so the house gallery shows up until june 12th so people can check your work out in person there and then you have another not local show coming up too you want to plug that yeah i would love to so i've got i I got one of these these uh one of these taillights the amulet taillights got into uh, a show at international print center new york which is a well-established uh reputable uh printmaking uh spot kind of devoted to showing print works and um educating people about printmaking and and all that and um it's it's quite competitive i've certainly applied a lot in the past and not gotten in so i'm thrilled to be in it now uh that will go up oh i don't have the dates offhand that's cool i've got it for you right here it is you are cool (laughs) june 10th through september 18th of this year wonderful so you know new york is continually opening up more and more uh go meet me there let's go let's plan a trip yeah oh man (laughs) very very cool Uh, well thank you so much for coming on today and talking about your work very openly and it's great great to meet you and chat with you thank you this was so much fun i had a blast um you guys are doing a great job please keep it up and i'll be listening
And that was our conversation with local artist Keith Garuba. Thank you, Keith, so much. Um, it was really cool to hear about his uh, like warm glass art technique and how that related to him as a printmaker and his like background as a printmaker. That was awesome. Yeah, it was super, super interesting. And, and I think it brings a whole nother layer of depth to all the pieces that we we looked at. And so I think it'll really help anybody that wants to go check that out, a, a deeper level of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. His yeah. You can look at it on a screen, but his stuff is definitely best seen in person. Definitely best seen in person, as most artwork oh, absolutely. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Elise, would you like to take away the opportunity for the week? Yes. So uh, Southside Arts District announced a mural opportunity today. They are looking for an experienced muralist to create a street mural at the intersection of 3rd and Adams Street. Please share and or apply if you're interested by emailing Missy, M-I-S-S-Y, at southsideartsdistrict.com. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in this week. As always, I'm Ben. And I'm Elise. And we're recording here in Steel Pixel Studios located in downtown Bethlehem. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>